Hey friends, it's Kelly Casperson coming to you. I am doing a fun thing today. I am posting a, I'm calling it a live podcast recording. Does that count? Because it's not live on the podcast, but it's like, we did this yesterday when you're hearing this today, if it's Sunday, because I release on Sunday mornings. Anyways, quote, air quotes, live podcast recording. And it was so fun. And what ended up happening, I did a lot of questions and answers on menopause. So you're going to see a lot of those, those questions answered. And then I got hooked up with Dr. Jessica Krant, who I'll put her links in the show notes. And we talk a lot about the GI tract and what we call functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, and how exercise and eating well and getting sleep and all those things are great for your body and your mental health overall and also your sex life. So she's amazing. She's actually a dermatologist. We talked a lot about the gut. I didn't know that the gut made 90% of our serotonin. That's amazing. Serotonin is our happy our happy neurotransmitter, which is awesome. So listen at the end of, of the live podcast for that. And thank you guys so much for finding me. I am, I'm going to back up and reintroduce myself because there's a lot of new listeners, both to the Instagram page and to the podcast, which is just so, so amazing. So thank you for being here. If you like this, if it's useful, please give me the uh, privilege of having one of your reviews on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to podcasts. I would absolutely love it. It helps other women learn that there is medically based, medically based scientific research out there on sexual health. The other thing I like about this podcast is we talk about sex like the weather, like it's just part of our daily being of a human, right? But it's not like overly sexy or grotesque or in your face or anything like that. And I think that's where we really shine is talking about it like something normal humans do, but not talking about it in a way that's overtly sexual or in your face. So I don't know. I think that's one of the strengths of the podcast. What do you think? So I am a urologist. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I was starting to just kind of get too many voices, well, just one voice in my head saying I needed to talk because over and over, it's just women who don't know anything about their pelvis, their body, their living, their sex life in the doldrums. They don't know, they don't know what they need, but they know that the way they're living isn't enough, right? Like they're unsatisfied, but they don't even know, they don't have the education to know what's possible. So I just kept seeing that over and over. So I started this podcast. I actually just started my Instagram last June. And now I have 4,500 on Instagram, which is amazing. And I do tons of live on Instagram now. I love that platform. So if you like this once a week, awesome podcast will remain once a week. If you need more of me, I, I swore on Instagram last week and I was like, oh my gosh, I just swore on Instagram. So we'll see what happens. Some people like the, swear, the swearing. They think I seem more real. Uh, I tend to swear in real life, but not around my kids. Anyways, I swore on Instagram last week. So I go live on Instagram. Um, more frequently than even once a week. And that platform is really starting to grow. It's actually showing me how much interest people have in menopause and knowing what's coming and knowing what options are available. And it's just showing me the tide is starting to turn on thinking that estrogen is bad, right? We just didn't learn it. My, my theory is we didn't learn about menopause for so long because we just pulled women off of hormones after the Women's Health Initiative came out 2001, 2002. So People are really interested because they don't know what the heck goes on and what their options are. So there's a lot of menopause talk on the Instagram channel, point being on that one. So I'm actually reading a book right now called Don't Split the Difference or something like that. It's written by a hostage negotiator, which is amazing. But I'm getting lots of tips that can be used like with 
heterosexual couples or any couple really but like the way men think and the way women think are so different and we just forget that all the time right so I actually had a have have a good guy friend who was kind of texting me some of his thoughts about you know what what he sees as barriers for men and women in communicating and he had said that you know men need to be physical in order to connect emotionally and women need to connect emotionally in order to be physical. And that just made so much sense to me and why people have so many challenges, right? Because stereotypically the man's like, she doesn't, she doesn't want to sleep with me. We've lost all of our intimacy, right? Because the sex stuff. And then from the stereotypical female side, she's like, he just asks for it all the time. He just needs sex all the time. And it's just like super irritating to her. Um, and so it's like, Part of what we're doing with this podcast is just starting the conversation of talking about sex and what it means to you, what it means to you, what it means to your partner. And the meanings might be very different, right? He might want sex for one reason for, because that's how he feels close and emotionally connected. And she's like, that's not where I'm getting that from at all. So it's very, very cool to be part of changing the conversation about sex. Even just having the conversation with your partner is literally changing the conversation, right? Because so many people don't ever talk about this. And I'm like, not only are you going to talk about it, you're going to realize you don't talk about it once. You talk about it multiple times. Like that's part, that's where the intimacy comes from is being vulnerable from listening to your partner, from seeing things from their point of view. That's where all that intimacy comes from. Going back to the hostage negotiators, one of the tips was um, kind of share their feelings back to them in sense of like, not like using you or I statements, but in like, it seems, right? It seems like you want to have sex with me because that's how you feel close to me you know, am I getting that right? And reflecting somebody's emotion back to them really makes them feel seen and heard and appreciated. So hostage negotiating sex tips <laughs> from yours truly, Dr. Kelly Casperson. The other thing I have to put on here, you guys, I, I am a doctor, I have so much knowledge, but I can't give personal medical advice. This is not ever considered a doctor-patient relationship here, Instagram, anywhere else on social media. Don't actually get your medical advice from social media. Like, I'm a doctor, but there's plenty of not doctors who are trying to tell you to do stuff too. This is a place to learn, to hear new things, to try out theories, to see what other people are doing, and then bring that back to your doctor, your PA, your nurse practitioner, and really still have that relationship there. So uh, the people always say, this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. So there you go. So without further ado, we're gonna I'm going to put you in with the live podcast recording. Um, we do some question and questions and answers about menopause, and then I bring on Dr. Jessica Krant to talk about functional medicine. Do you want to be invited to future podcast recordings? This is how you do it. Number one, you join one of my courses. I'm not teaching any courses right now. I uh, I'm, I'm writing a book, so I'm 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 trying to cull all of my activities. So courses will be in the future, probably 2022, but you can sign up to be on the mailing list to be alerted about those future courses um, on kellycaspersonmd.com. So get on the mailing list. That's where I did the, the email blast for this podcast recording. And I'm going to do them once a month and see how you guys like kind of the free form question and answer, talking about coaching, mental health, the way we think about sex, our bodies, but make it in a very like free flowing, see what comes up and make that a podcast form. So let me know what you think about the format. I love you guys. Without further ado, a live podcast recording. Love you. Welcome to You Are Not Broken 
the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Casperson. Hello, hello, good morning. I've got my coffee. I'm ready to talk. Thank you guys for being here. But so what we're going to do is we're going to do some live coaching. You can come on. You can still be anonymous. You can change your name. Um, and you can change your name and come on and be coached. Or you can just type in questions about relationships or your pelvis or your body or menopause or sex. I put sex last, but you know, that could come first. I have one of my fellow coaches on here who just got certified with me, which is so awesome. And we could just talk about coaching if you want to just talk about coaching and mind work and how that applies to our bodies and our relationships and sex and all that thing. So congratulations to you for getting certified with me because <laughs> it's life-changing. Working on your mind, especially on the topic of sex and intimacy and how you want to show up and how you want to communicate with your partner is so, so important kind of in my work of doing this, I've realized we need to learn how to talk to our partners and ourselves about sex, right? We just kind of go around like trying to be mind readers. We also go around trying to just guess what other people are thinking, which I guess is mind readers, but like we're just, but we're not even guessing. We're just like assuming that what we think they think is like the fact and we don't ever feel that out and be like, I could be super wrong about what this person's thinking about sex could be super wrong about what I'm thinking about sex. How do we use self-coaching to fix our sexual relationship when we are sure the other person has all of the issues? Oh, that's such a good question. So in, in my life coaching school, the profound thing for me was realizing like your relationship with yourself or with anybody is really your thoughts about it, right? And if we're putting all the blame on the other person, there's probably some not truth to that because uh, there's there's two people in a relationship, but most of how, what you think about the relationship is your thoughts about the relationship, not actually how the other person is. The other person can do whatever they want. Technically, they're an adult. It's just do we allow them to do whatever they want or do we want to control them or make them do what we want them to do, right, which is a very controlling situation. A lot of women don't think we're in controlling situations. But if you're trying to get somebody else to do something to make you happy, in a sense, that is a sense of control, right? So I would think about that if you're like, the other person's the whole problem. Is like, number one, you always have to ask, like, is this a relationship that's safe? Is this a relationship you want to be in? But number two, if you think the other person's the whole part of the problem, you might be missing a lot of personal work, right? And then why do you need them to change for you to feel good enough about yourself? right? What, or what they call emotional childhood in that I'm re I'm relying on my happiness based upon how somebody else is reacting or what we call, what we call a manual. So like how I think the world should act, how I think my boss should act, my kids should act, my husband should act. That's my manual for the world. But the problem is they haven't read that manual, right? I didn't give it to them. I'm just, I'm basing my happiness on how I think other people should behave, which usually leads just for a lot of suffering for me, right? So, and the other thing is if we think the other person, going back to the question, if we think the other person has all the issues, a lot of that is a big reflection on us, right? If we think they have all the issues, maybe in fact we have all the issues, 
there's always this interesting mirror thing that's going on when we say somebody else is too much of X or isn't enough of X and how that actually is a reflection of, of what we think about ourselves. It should be very profound work. Um, you know, if you, if you think somebody's not emotionally available, if you do the work to realize maybe I'm not emotionally available, right? And I, what I want from them is what I actually want in myself. I, I was, I'm, so I'm writing a book and I was meeting with my, my book helper person yesterday and we're going through the chapters and we just put in a chapter on menopause because menopause is coming up hot and heavy on um, the Instagrams that we're doing. And I think the chapter of the book is going to be the other thing that's coming <laughs> to make it a little bit punny, but like, unless you're planning on dying, perimenopause and menopause is coming. And I think so many young women are like, yeah, 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 whatever, like. And it's like, no, no, this is actually part of like how we learn about our period, ideally learn that our period's coming, learn about what happens when you get pregnant, learn about what happens with perimenopause and menopause. So I'm putting it a, a chapter in the book. So that was a new edition of yesterday because menopause is so under talked about because my theory is doctors basically gave up on menopause when the women's health initiative study came out saying that hormones were dangerous, right? So doctors like gave up on menopause and all the new doctors didn't get taught about menopause. So basically nobody knows anything about menopause now, except for like the menopause experts. So now we know hormones are really safe and are like, can be very, very good for you for quality of life. There's actually a study that looks at giving hormones to young menopause people. So young menopause is within 10 years of your last period. That's young menopause in their definition of things. Um, their average life expectancy was three years longer than people who weren't on hormones, which is insane. Let alone the things you can't feel like bone health, right? Um, it's fantastic. It prevents osteoporosis basically. So there's a chapter in the book on that, but point being where I was talking about, you know, the book and I have so many books about sex and so many books about like intimacy and having more sex and all that. It doesn't get to the root of the problem of like, why you want to have sex, right? And it, like, have we actually actually ever thought about why we want to have sex? And there's so many so many different reasons for it, but but our personal reason for sex, right? There's not one right answer for why you want or should have sex. Um, and I think a lot of women just kind of give give up that like, why do I even want to do this? Or they haven't even thought of it. I like a lot of people are just like shooting their way through their sex lives which might be the title, title of the book, Stop Shitting on Your Sex Life, because I think it's super corny and adorable. Um, but have you ever asked yourself why? Like, why do I want to be intimate with this person? And if the answer is because he expects it, we have some work to do, right? Because if, we, if, if here we are thinking, and this is why it's so important to like think about why we want to have intimacy, right? Because if we're here sitting like, I wish I had a higher libido, I wish I wanted sex more, I wish, I wish, I wish, and underlying that is like, I just do it because he wants to. Like, there's this huge disconnect. You're never going to get where you want to be if truly you want to have more intimacy in life if your thought is, I'm just doing it because this is like, I think what happens when you get married. So, so here's somebody who typed in. And they said, uh, I have an appointment with my gynecologist to discuss hormone therapy. See, menopause. I'm telling you, menopause is like hot. Here I am thinking like I'm going to educate people about like desire. This is how it's gone. I'm going to educate people about like their bodies and then desire. 
and then it came to like fuck desire because you don't actually need it to enjoy great sex you can literally be like a busy full-time woman living your life and then decide to have like an hour of sex and you didn't need desire right so it got into that and now it's going into menopause like i have so many menopause questions it's absolutely insane okay getting back to the first question which is menopause which is now a chapter in my book um okay so the gynecologist's office called and asked me if I was interested in synthetic hormones or biologic hormones. I told them synthetic. I think my insurance will cover those. Would that be okay? I'm starting menopause. I'm 51. Thank you so much. So why is a doctor, this is my question about this. Why is a doctor's office asking somebody who probably knows nothing about hormones or the chemical composition of hormones, what type of hormones they want? Like, I don't understand that at all. And let's break that down. So FDA approved insurance covered hormones are both synthetic and biologic. I'm thinking by biologic, they mean the bioidentical, right? Bioidentical just means it's the exact same chemical compound that your body makes. Synthetic means it's a little bit different, right? It's got different like carbons on it or whatever makes it a little bit different. Um, but they're both FDA, their FDA approved medications are both synthetic and biologic. So estradiol is biologic, right? You can have estradiol systemically and you can have estradiol in the vagina. Estradiol is the generic vaginal estrogen that I love. It's amazing, so, which is, bi which is bioidentical. But still, FDA approved, you can get it at any pharmacy, it doesn't have to be compounded, and your insurance covers it, right? So I think people, like, they get tripped up on what all these words mean, and especially in the, like, salesy thing where we think bio bioidentical means anything. Bioidentical on a hormone, again, just means it looks like your hormones. But it doesn't mean, like, it has to be compounded, or it doesn't mean you have to pay cash, or it doesn't mean you have to get it in a pellet form. It's kind of like slapping natural on a on a granola bar and like using that to sell it. You're like, what does natural actually mean? It literally means nothing. You can just put it on your granola bar and then charge more for it. So I, I don't know, to me, I'm like, why is a doctor's office asking a patient if they want synthetic or biologic hormones? Like, did they expect her to read the Women's Health Initiative study and realize that like maybe synthetic is a, a little bit stronger, maybe it's more high risk, like, why, are, why is a patient being asked to make that decision? That seems very crazy for me. So are you doing the right thing? Yeah, go talk to your doctor about that. Most people, most, not to overgeneralize, because again, they're both on the market, they're probably fine, but the Women's Health Initiative study used synthetic hormones. And there is some theory that the, the new, newer biologics possibly are a little lower dose, especially if we give them in patches instead of oral and that they might be even safer than the ones in the Women's Health Initiative study that ended up scaring the crap out of everybody. But for the right person, when you start it early, hormones are very, very safe. Okay. At a total hysterectomy at age 38, was on estrogen patch. See, I'm telling you, this is all menopause. Where's the sex questions? <laughs> at a total hysterectomy at age 38, was on estrogen patch for about two years. The doctor said to wean off because, quote, I didn't need it anymore, quote, Okay, so at 40, she was told to stop her hormones. Uh, fast forward to now, late 40s, uh, going to get her cystocele, rectocele, and prolapse fixed. The doctor put her on estrogen vaginal cr cream. Awesome. Uh, my question is, should I request other hormones as well? Will they even work after all these years? 
Okay, so let's go. Let's go to that's a very interesting question, you guys. Should we just? I see so many women who are literally going through menopause at age seventy because at age seventy their nurse practitioner just decided to take them off their hormones for literally no good reason, like they didn't have any side effects or anything. Um, so we actually know that stopping your hormones, the year you stop your hormones, can have some increased risk of um, side effects because it's like such a dramatic thing for your body to come off of hormones. So the, the North American Menopause Society 2017 Menopause Guidelines, which is a fantastic read for anybody who likes reading medical articles, said there is no good data to say that this, this whole like as short and as low dose as possible thing that kind of permeated our culture, there's any, any reason to do that. If a woman is very happy on her, on her hormones, she could just stay on them. I, I literally last week saw a woman in her eighties. These, these women look physiologically young. I'm stereotyping. I'm sorry, but like they're on their hormones. They love their hormones. They come in looking good. They're lean. They're vibrant. They're, they're like out in the world doing stuff. And I don't know, this might be a bias, right? Like are women who choose to be on hormones a kind of a different type of woman anyways than the woman who, especially a woman who like made it through this whole women's health initiative time on hormones, right? She's like, she had to fight for those hormones because the average person was, average doctor was pulling people off of hormones, right? But when I see a woman in her 80s on hormones, they're, they're literally like, you'll take these away from me when I die because they feel good. And they see their friends and they see people and they're like, I'm choosing to be on hormones and I'm fine with it. So yeah, there's this group of 80 year olds who like made it through the 70% of hormones that we, so we, doctors stopped prescribing 70% of all the prescription hormones after the women's health initiative study. So 30% of women stayed on it, right? But the majority got pulled off. But this whole thing of like, I just pulled them off um, because it was too late, like too late at 40. No way. That's like not even average age of menopause for a lot of people. And, um, we have tons of data that, uh, that hormones in early in young women is very, very helpful. So there's great data on that hormones up until average age of menopause. So this woman was 40 when they stopped average age of menopause is 51 in America, right? The hormones in that age group, very protective against early osteoporosis, cognitive changes, cardiovascular changes. So basically they're like, hormones should, it's a should be on, unless there's, unless there's reasons they shouldn't be on hormones um, for young women. So the question now for her is great. Uh, her menopause was 38 and now she's 47. She's really getting into that 10 year window, maybe eight year window because she was on hormones for two years. So she's kind of getting into once you hit 10 years post menopause, they don't recommend hormones anymore because your body's already changed. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a question for your doctor and, and really informed consent of the pros and cons of starting on hormones. It's, it's a great question. I wonder what my menopause experts are would say about that. Question number next. I've been on estrogen gel since 2018. I'm assuming estrogen gel is skin systemic cream because there isn't a gel for the vagina. My doctor has also prescribed vaginal estrogen cream. Well, there's the, there was clears up my confusion. I just have to freaking read the question. As I have a weak pelvic floor and a little leakage. However, when I use the vaginal cream, it causes the worst itchiness, so I have to stop using it. Why does this happen, and do you have a suggestion? Yes. Yes, I do have a suggestion. So 
two things. Number one, um, if it's, if the skin is really dry and sensitive, um, you have to use the estrogen cream for a while for it to start tolerating it, right? Just think of like a super kind of, I guess, ra I'm not a dermatologist. How am I doing? <laughs> think of like a super rashy, sensitive skin. And they're like, no, 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 put put it on there for a while. And as it heals, it'll tolerate it better, right? Like that's a lot of how it works. So I'd say try, give it the benefit of the doubt and try it. Sometimes that burning sensitivity really does go away as the skin gets healthier and literally improves because of the estrogen in it. So that's number one. Number two, if you try it for like a month or two and you're still having problems, then I'd say you have a sensitivity to the base that it's made in, like the compound cream, uh, which can have the prescription, the brand name ones can have an alcohol base in it. And some people are just sensitive to that. So it's not actually the estrogen that's bothering you, but like the base that it's in. And that's when you can do a couple of things. You can either get it compounded into a really tolerable base because they could kind of fiddle with the creams. Or you can just switch to prescription rings or you can switch to prescription tabs. So those are all the options that I do in my clinic. Yeah, creams can be burning. Exactly. Creams burn more than ointments. See, I love the help that I have on here. Thank you. Are you saying after 10 years of menopause, an estrogen cream would be ineffective? No. Uh, let, that's a great clarification point. Thank you for that. So vaginal estrogen is just for the pelvis. That's all it is. It doesn't go anywhere else. Brain doesn't see it. Blood vessels don't see it. Bones don't see it. Vaginal estrogen is just for the vagina. You can use that whenever. You can start it at age 70. Doesn't matter. It's totally safe. Does not cause breast cancer. It does decrease urinary tract infections, prevent dryness and pain with sex. It's lovely. It's lovely stuff. It's like sunscreen and seat. I call it sunscreen and seat belts for the pelvis. I'd say vagina, but like the vulva needs it. it keeps your clitoris healthy. It keeps blood flow great for arousal and orgasm. Helps the bladder. The bladder has tons of estrogen receptors on it. Women who are on hormones have less overactive bladder issues, which is awesome. It can also help stress incontinence. Vaginal estrogen. Systemic estrogen or systemic hormones, which is pills, creams, patches, that's systemic. That's it's a lot higher dose because your body actually sees it. But it's still really low dose, you guys. Hormone replacement therapy is still very low dose hormones. We're not getting you to like a 23-year-old estrogen. Their skin is amazing, by the way. 23-year-olds, 5-year-olds have amazing skin. Um, point being, we're not giving you a 23-year-old estrogen dose when we give you systemic hormones. It's still very, very low dose. But so what I'm saying is <clears throat> estrogen cream in the vagina, good to go whenever. They can get confusing because systemic hormones are also called estrogen and sometimes people use like creams and gels for that too. Um, but on your arm or on your leg or on your chest or not in your, you don't put those products in your vagina. So there's that. Okay. Okay. Here's another question. First of all, you are amazing. I found your take on desire so empowering. I think that was my fuck desire. <laughs> it's not necessary. We're sold a bill of goods that we think we need this thing called desire in order to start having sex. But it's not an essential step. Who said it was an essential step? Some people did, but some people did not. Okay, so that was very nice of you. Thank you. Here's my question. I have a strong family history of breast and ovarian cancer on my mother's side of the family. Is vaginal estrogen okay for someone like me? Yes, absolutely. Vaginal estrogen, it's sunscreen and a safety belt for your pelvis after menopause. 
<laughs> no risk of cancer. And <clears throat> they're actually using it more and more in survivors of breast cancer. You can't actively have breast cancer. You can't be on the aromatase inhibitors. So you're, when you're kind of actively being treated, but say your breast cancer was 10 years ago and now you're like dying from not dying literally, but dying from pain uh, in the vulva, vagina, recurrent UTIs. You can't have sex. You probably haven't had sex in years because it's so darn painful and dry. Vaginal estrogen can be safe. We do that in communication with your oncologist. But a lot of women, like they don't even see their oncologist anymore because they're so like remotely cured from their breast cancer. And we're going to see more and more of this, right? Breast cancer is common and most people survive. So we're going to see more and more of that. Um, okay, so that question was, Strong family history of breast and ovarian cancer is vaginal estrogen okay? Yes, absolutely. And then, then she says, actually, any type of estrogen, can I do that? I'm 50 and postmenopausal. So 50 is a good age unless you went into menopause 10 years earlier at like age 40, right? Because you can't be 10 years past. Um, 50 is a good age. You're nice and young. And the question, the answer is probably, right? So the uh, NAMS 2017 guidelines said it's okay if you have first degree relatives with breast cancer um, to be on hormone replacement therapy. This stuff is, you guys, if you guys don't understand hormones and menopause, God bless that anybody actually does. This is, a, this is incredibly challenging stuff that we do not know a lot about. It's challenging to think about. Most breast cancers happen in postmenopausal women with low estrogen, right? When we give estrogen to women, in, like in the Women's Health Initiative, there was no increase in risk of breast cancer. When we gave estrogen and progesterone to them, there was a slightly increased risk of breast cancer, but they had better survival than the women who weren't on hormones. So like if any of this blows your mind and it's confusing, it's because it's mind blowing and confusing. I'm like not the smartest doctor in the world. I'm trying to figure it out but I'm pretty smart. Like I can handle some stuff <laughs> and it's still very, very confusing. So probably okay. It's probably okay, but you're going to need to ask your, your specific doctor about that because of your, your family history. Just having a family history does put you at higher risk. The question is, does the hormone actually add any higherness to that risk? Right? So, um, Good informed consent is what people say. You say you need to have good informed consent, the risks and the benefits. Jessica, what should we talk about? You want to talk about thoughts? You can whatever. You're a certified life coach. Let's do it. Hey, sweetheart. Oh, hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Hi. Welcome to my first ever live podcast recording. Well, I'm, so, I'm very honored to be here. You're my guest of honor. This is awesome. So great. Congratulations, too. And being a certified life coach, you probably already were before you take so many classes. Congratulations to you as well. I, you know, I did take another program last year, but, um, it, I didn't feel that it was as comprehensive and supportive as what I wanted. And so I did this other program and I'm really glad now I feel like I have so many tools to be able to help people. Is that amazing? And you're already out the gate helping so many people for, for all this, this whole time I'm so proud of you and so impressed. Thank you. It's so rewarding when people come in and you're like, they share this stuff and they have these questions and you can help them and they feel like some, somebody listened and I'm like, oh, they, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Okay. Absolutely. I, I have the same feeling. The more I, the more I 
follow this path. You know, I knew it was, I knew it was my nature even before I went into my specialty. Um, and so now the more I follow this path, the more I feel like I'm actually coming home to myself and my yeah. most core nature from even from childhood, my per my tendency, my personality and my natural way with people. Um, you know, I just feel like it's exactly my path. So I'm excited about it. I'm so grateful for the technology, right? Because I think about even 10 years ago, there was no live streaming. There's no Zoom. There is no pod. I mean, there's a little bit of podcasting, but it's like what we're able to do to communicate and feel connected, like podcasting, Instagram, without any of that, I couldn't do what I'm doing. It's amazing. Absolutely. I know. This is, this is the time. Totally. We're, you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the wave. <laughs> Maybe that's nice of you to say. <laughs> like the, I feel like we're all on this awesome wave, but like there's so many people you can connect to, like the entire world. Oh, it's amazing. And like you're on it. You're um, on it. I can't believe the menopause stuff that's coming out of this. I wasn't like I wasn't like I'm gonna start a podcast just to talk about menopause, but like my Instagram lives are menopause, man. Well, I think that where you're starting with the people that are out there seeking help. Yep. So it's, it's that population. It's, it's, it's us, you know, and us in a few years. And totally. the, I think it will gradually filter down, you know, how they say, um, first there has to be awareness and the, the people in their forties and fifties are already aware. And yep. then it will filter down to people in their thirties and 40s um, who yeah. will learn how to become aware to prevent any issues in the future and also learn as what you're really here to teach is the coaching and the self-coaching about how we think about sex and relationships and you know those younger people don't really know yet that they have tools to make things better they just are, are not living in that state of mind where they're observing themselves yet and wondering, wondering if there's something they can do better. They're just in it. They're right in it. So your job will be to reach out to those people and show them, you know, that they don't just have to be in it. They can also step out a little bit and manage it and make it better. Totally. I think to me, like se sex is a vehicle for personal growth, right? Just like entrepreneurship is, or like making money is all these things are just opportunities for personal growth. And I think so many people come in and they're like, I'd like the quick fix. I just want a better sex life. And you're like, you want some personal growth? Because <laughs> that's the only way you're going to get there. Oh, you're so right there. It's the doorway. You're right. It's the, they think they're coming for one thing and you show them that they're actually here for something else. Absolutely. There's so many doorways entering into that space and yeah. that's exactly right. And then once they grow themselves, I think one of the things that comes out of this in every, in every arena, in every topic of personal growth is you learn what you're ac accidentally tolerating that you didn't realize you were accepting that you don't have to accept and you learn how to 
set your boundaries and set your intentions and then set your goals. And that works in, in our sex lives. That will work in our relationships. It will work in our career paths. So it's all the same formula. I love that. I love the accidentally accepting. I know. I just made that up. Everything I just said, I just made up. I I should write that down. Yeah. Accidentally accepting. That's amazing. What do you do? What do you do? I, I want your opinion. So I see a lot of people who like their thoughts are very facty to them. Very facty thoughts, right? Which is kind of a version of like accidentally accepting, right? Like here I am accepting this fact. Oh, it's actually not a fact. It's just a thought that I was just accepting it for literally no good reason because it's not actually a fact. But I think I see that all the time is like my thoughts are man, they feel really good. And even if they feel bad, they feel like mine and very facty. I think the hardest thing to learn in all of coaching and all of self-coaching and all of coach training is to catch thoughts that feel like facts. Once we learn how to do that and we can do it for ourselves and do it for others, I think that's really the golden key because then we can start to question. And until we can separate fact from thought and realize that, you know, I don't know, am I exaggerating to say that 90% of our of thoughts that we have that we think are just the way the world is are just our thoughts and our own interpretations of the way we think the world is. And it's so hard to learn that because we did not grow up with that understanding. Right. I, and I, I see that totally. um, children of coaches amaze me because <laughs> they're, you know, I see our, our, our friends and our companions posting about just this wisdom that comes out of the mouths of, ba- of babes. And they're watching their parents learn how to catch their thoughts. And these kids are just going to be so far ahead of us. So uh, these kids are going to like blow their teacher's minds, you know, because the teachers are going to be like, where'd this kid come from? (laughs) And I think they're going to blow their own minds and just, you know, have these intentional lives that are going to be fantastic, hopefully. Totally. And I mean, they're going to come up against kids, other kids who don't think like that. You know, and it's, it's going to be an opportunity for growth because you're going to be like, not all, not all adults realize that they create their life by their thoughts, let alone like 12 year olds. I know, I know it's going to be, I, I hope that it's a, you know, a thought, a thought revolution. Totally. You know, I thought sure, the, the statement, I don't know how felt very facty to me. Because like, you don't, you don't know how you haven't, right? And when they were like, yeah, that's just a thought. That took me a while, but it blew my mind. Right. And that the not knowing how is not a meaningful barrier to anything. Yeah. Because right. we can always find out how. It's first creating the will to do it. Once we know that we are going to find out how, that's, that's the easy part. Totally. And even just changing the sentence to I don't know how yet 
is such a different, creates such a different feeling than the, you know, seemingly facty thought of, I don't know how. You just change a word and you can change your feeling with that. You change your feeling and you know that you can find out anything. And even if finding out means you find out that it's not something you're going to be doing yourself and you learn how to get the help with it, there's just no barrier there. Yeah. Oh, I love it. The other thing I am super loving right now, which applies to sex and everything else, is like the whole point is the journey. The point is not the end, which totally applies to sex because people are like, I want this amazing sex life. And I'm like, well, in order to get there, it's a journey. That, and the whole point is who you become on that journey. Well, you know, that's a, I mean, I, not to be too nerdy, but that's a, a fractal situation because the actual, you know, I know you teach us all that the actual intimate moments with your partner or yourself are about the journey and not about the destination. So even on that smaller microcosm of the intimate time you spend with your partner, it's about the entire experience and not just getting to that end point. Same yep. for the journey with yourself in, in growing and becoming the person who has that satisfying sex life. Yeah. I love it. It's, uh, somebody was saying like, they were, they were, you know, of course, when people kind of challenge coaching theories, they like to take the extreme to be like, yeah, well, I'm never going to be in, on an MBA team right? I'm not six foot, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm 40. And, and they're like, yeah, but if you really tried, you would become a pretty interesting person just by everything you had to do to try to get on that NBA team. So it's not like the destination, but it's like getting good enough or to become the person who could be on the NBA team is still going to transform your freaking life so much, right? And so even to take like the haters who are like, I can never be on the NBA team and be like, yeah, but if you try, like, man, you're going to be ripped. You're going to know a crap ton about basketball. Like, is that, is that actually what you want? But you're going to, the journey is going to take you to a very cool place. Right. And it's going to take you to the place that you didn't know how to imagine for yourself. And you didn't, you didn't know how to even dream of that goal because it wasn't in your awareness. So totally. I yep, totally agree. I do mine is, my like impossible goal is to be on Ellen and I'm like which which you can't control because it's up to Ellen and her people to get me on Ellen right but becoming the person worthy of being on Ellen now that's a goal absolutely so, well so. I I believe in you and I believe you will end up on Ellen sooner than you think so you Neither just one of us are getting really younger <laughs> Keep she, your, has a, she has a great dermatologist, I bet, though. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, she also looks to me like somebody, she looks like somebody that has naturally good skin. Maybe that's the sign of somebody with a great dermatologist. She's Possibly. a vegan. Oh, well, there you go. That's helpful. Okay. You know, since I am also 100% plant-based, um, I can attest to the fact that it is great for skin. That's for sure. Totally. I, uh, I own vegan. I, I own Ellen and Portia's vegan cookbook. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, in terms of coaching and, and mood and thinking and feelings, I don't know if, if everybody's aware that it turns out that our, 
our mental health is also has quite a bit of um, control of it that actually comes from our gut health. I don't know if you've ever talked about that. Let's talk about it. People are, people are very interested in that topic. Yeah. So it turns out what blew my mind was finding out that, you know, we're, we're all starting to be a little bit familiar with serotonin and low serotonin being linked to tendency toward depression. A lot of the prescription medications for depression are serotonin enhancers, serotonin reuptake inhibitors and things that keep more serotonin in our in the uh, synapses in working as a neurotransmitter to keep our mood up. And we would all naturally think, and it would be no surprise for us if we were told that most of the serotonin in our bodies is made in our brains. But it turns out that 90% of our body's serotonin is actually built, created in our guts. What? Are you, are you, I didn't know that. Are you really shocked by that? I went to medical school. I'll have, you know, yeah. So everything I, I know is, a, is, is, you know, I didn't know. I learned, I learned a lot in medical school, but the, what the clitoris looked like, I did not learn. And the serotonin fact, I did not learn. There's two things. Right. This serotonin fact, I think is, is, you know, a much newer understanding. So does the serotonin go from the gut into the brain or it, it works in the body? It, or does it, it well, go once your gut makes it? You know, it goes into the brain, but also if I'm, if I now, now I didn't prepare totally all of the knowledge on this topic, but I, <laughs> there are serotonin receptors uh, in other places in the body too, for sure. But uh, it does go into the brain. And if we don't make our, our, if we don't treat our guts as their own healthy, um, micro environment within our bodies that our, our guts, our GI tract, it can't do all of the thing, all of the amazing things that it does for us that we weren't even aware of. And one of them is making this serotonin. So if we have an unhealthy gut and it's not making serotonin like a factory, it, we are more mood unstable and it does contribute to depression. So that's why there are actually foods that help boost serotonin production. And, you know, there are specific foods, but overall eating a more plant-based diet with high fiber and low gut irritants and an anti-inflammatory diet actually helps to promote a more stable, healthy, uh, happier mood. And this absolutely will relate directly to people's sex lives and their self-confidence and their energy level towards, you know, intimacy. So it's this, I don't, I don't like to use the term vicious cycle because that's such a negative connotation, but virtuous cycle of treating our bodies physically better and eating healthier, you know, even, even, you know, I'm a lifestyle medicine certified physician. So all of those pillars of lifestyle medicine, the food as medicine, exercise, mindfulness, and stress management, they all play directly into having the right um, self-confidence and energy and self-esteem to approach our, our sex lives in a healthy way, including if our sex lives are not great, you know, having the peace of mind and the confidence to initiate those sometimes, you know, intimidating conversations with our partners. And totally. all, of, all of that requires peace of mind and, you know, 
enough of a positive mood to, to break that barrier. Because if you're just not feeling good and you're not feeling, you know, happy with yourself, you can feel frustrated and feel like it's a little bit hopeless to start bringing all of it up. So we have to just unwind that spiral and send it in the other direction. That's amazing. I think we put a lot of garbage in our, in our GI tract in general. And I think we do it because our brain loves sugar, right? And then convenience. And then I don't think we actually think about where it goes after our GI tract, right? Like the results of the, the pizza. Right. I mean, you know, pizza is among my top three to five favorite foods of all time. But now that I know, it's like, you know, honestly, when I, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale and I would lie in the sun for the intense purpose of getting as tan as possible my entire life. And even through college and through medical school, which were no longer in Florida, I would still go in the sun as much as possible and get tan. I, and not until I began training as a dermatologist in my residency program, when I learned what the sun was really doing to my skin long-term, did I stop lying in the sun to get tan. And until I learned exactly what was happening with the food that was going into my GI tract and how di literally directly it was impacting every single aspect of my health, um, I still ate like somebody who, you know, could eat whatever she wanted. And it didn't matter. And I just can't do that now. Now I do the best I can. Nobody's perfect, but I'm so acutely aware of, you know, whatever I put in my mouth that it's going to either be something that makes me healthier in every way, or it's going to be something that hurts me. There's just, there's just no in between. So yeah, totally. I'm yeah. I, like, man, the body is so forgiving in, in its 20s. Like our, our body's so nice to us when we're in our 20s. And then we kind of get to this point where we're like, oh, I think my body actually needs me to pay attention now. Like, and some people beat their bodies up for that. They're like, well, now my body, and it's like, no, it actually just wants you to pay attention because it was super forgiving for a long time. <laughs> yeah, you know, that we think that, and, and that it's very hard to, teach anybody different and have, and you know, when I see my 20 year old, 20 in people in their twenties in my office, it's very hard to get them to wear sunscreen. And research has shown that young people are not motivated by the fear of skin cancer for wearing sunscreen. They are- Do you have to motivate them by wrinkles or something? Yes. Wrinkles. They are absolutely motivated to wear sunscreen by preventing aging in the future. That, and I'm like, you know what, if I, if I have to motivate you by, by worries about aging rather than worries about protecting your health, let, let's do it. And I think the same is true for, for diet and for exercise. Um, when, when our bodies, as you say, are so forgiving and let us seemingly get away with all of the stuff, it's, it's the better lesson is to understand that we're actually not getting away with it. All of the damage that we oh, create. Oh, really? All of the damage we, <laughs> we create in our 20s is there. Oh. And it's, it's even better for us if we can try to rein in a little bit of our naughtiness earlier. Um, because if you eat healthy and 
you know, get good sleep and exercise through your 20s and 30s, you for sure hit your 40s and 50s and 60s younger and healthier. Yeah. You know? Totally. And I think, you know, the, the unique thing that physicians get and some other jobs get this, but you get like 30 people a day from all snapshots of age range. And so like literally in your office every day, you see people age well and see people age not well. And it's always in my face of like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And like after, you know, a decade and a half of doing that, you, there's certain trends that come out and exercise is huge. Uh, exercise is amazing and it impacts us in so many ways. You know, we think of it as either some people think of exercises that they think they're doing it for weight loss or weight management. I'd say, I mean, I'd, I'd say most people think like I need to exercise for weight loss and the data does, the data says it's diet, 80% diet, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and some people think they're exercising for, you know, stamina or everybody has, you know, one thing that they mainly think is the reason they're exercising. But it turns out, as you alluded to, that exercise helps us in so many ways that we don't even think about. Like literally exercise is anti-aging for our skin. Exercise- For skin? For skin. Exercise is anti-aging for our brains. And you know, exercise is anti-aging for our bones. So it's all those hidden things that are, make exercise something that should, should just be like a staple of our lives. A staple. And going back to the serotonin and antidepressant, exercise is fantastic for depression. Right. And, I'm preve sure and preventing you, depression. You must be aware of the studies that have shown that a um, certain amount of regular exercise is equivalent to prescription antidepressants yeah. for some people. Totally. I mean, people don't know that. They Plus, really don't. Antidepressants are crap for for desire and orgasm. Like they're they're actually like anti those things. And exercise is pro those things. So it's like pick your side effect. And I mean that with all respect of people who are on the, the medications who need to be on them. I always want to be careful with that. But when you look at the data of effectiveness, there are lifestyle things you can do. Well, and similar, same with diet, same with, and I, I don't like to use the word diet, but same with our food choices. Um, and for definitely for anybody who is using antidepressant medication right now, you know, who, who need it and who are relieved with it, it doesn't, it shouldn't take the place of the exercise and the food. It's, it's hard. I mean, it is so hard for us now, all of us to take care of ourselves, especially in this, you know, long tail pandemic time and the world is just under so much stress. So everybody's doing the best we can, but for people to really incorporate and understand, and I hope that everybody's doctors will also incorporate and understand the knowledge that the exercise and the food, it's not just sort of hanging out there optional on the side and like not relevant. It is the, it is actually the most relevant aspects of taking care of ourselves. And we want the medications to help in addition. hundred percent. I, I feel the same way, you know, now that we have FDA approved meds for hypoactive sexual desire disorder is that if you go in just thinking the pill's going to change your sex life, 
and you don't do all this other mind work and your thoughts about sex and all the things that keep your body really healthy, which the body needs in order to enjoy and have sex, you're, you're going to then, you know, quote, be a medication failure and then beat yourself up even more because the medication didn't work. But it's like it, it has to exist in this body, which you also need to work on. Right. I think, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not a therapist, but if I'm able to help my patients and my, and my coaching clients um, feel more comfort with the medication as a, having it be there as a baseline support and have, using it as a, a platform to get the motivation to work on the other things too. You know, I feel that's, that's the best shot. And totally. it, as we said, virtuous cycle of feeling better about yourself and your your hope, you get hope and you get some confidence that you'll be okay in the future. It helps you approach your sex life in a healthier way. And then you get a better result and then you feel better about things and, you know, back to the virtuous cycle. Yeah. And the, and the appreciating the journey, right? Of like, that's actually where we want to be. We want to be on the journey. When I, when I started, I started working out consistently uh, probably two and a half years ago now. And I remember like three months in, I was so close to quitting because like I didn't see any changes in my body yet. And like everything were sold, like all these magazines that are like six weeks to tone triceps, six weeks to abs, eight weeks to blah, blah. We're sold a bill of goods that anything happens fast. And so I like was literally going to give up because nothing was happening yet. And it had been three months and I was like, what's the point? And it's like the point is to make it part of your life to do it frequently consistently as a habit not better abs in six weeks and like now that i've been doing it for two and a half years i'm like i have all the things that the advertisements were selling but man it really didn't start kicking in until about two two and a half years right like you got it it just has to be part of your lifestyle and have you also found that you have a mindset shift around your goal for the exercise anyway like okay now you have the triceps and the biceps but they're not the main, your main goal with it anymore anyway. They're like the Christmas ornaments when you miss the whole point of Christmas, right? <laughs> like, or pick whatever holiday. It's like, it's like the shiny thing on top of like what the actual thing is about. Right, right. And, and like we said before, the, the biceps and the washboard abs will draw you in, you know, looking for the better sex life draws you in. It's that it's the other doorway into the personal development work that you find you're actually getting when you when you head down that pathway. And then oh, you realize right. you're actually you're so much better inside and in your mind than you meant to be, you know, achieving on that journey. You thought you were just going for biceps, but you yep. actually you actually went for self-discipline, self-trust, you know, self-confidence. And all those things that are actually so much more valuable than the biceps. Totally. I mean, I, I, I have to credit exercise for making me be where I am right now with like with this podcast, with the coaching certification, with educating women, with doing all of that came from exercise. And my trainer was like, you won't recognize yourself in one year. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I'm going to still be myself. And like I kept growing and I kept growing because exercise gives you confidence. Like you keep your commitment to yourself. 
right? You can lift heavy things. All, all that mind work of I don't want to exercise right now and I'm going to do it anyway. All of that mind work, like exercise is a vehicle to absolutely transform your life. And I literally have not changed like gene sizes or anything. It's just all on the inside. Exactly, exactly what I was saying. Right. You and, you know, I could, before you even just said exercise is what you credit for all of these changes. That's what I was going to say to you is I bet you that the exercise commitment that you made to yourself was the runway to everything you're doing now for sure. And you have no idea when you start. I just wanted, I just wanted my butt not to jiggle. <laughs> and here I am. Here I am like, well, Oprah will be calling probably hopefully in like five years. So here we go. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. When you walk across the stage on Oprah and Ellen, <laughs> you will look amazing, but what you're going to teach everybody in the audience will be even more amazing. So great. Yeah. So, I mean, th that's the thing I want to teach people about like exercise and food and same with food. Like you're eating a salad and you're like, so what? Right. But it's like the, the, that it's part of your day and the, uh, you're putting fiber in your body day after day. That's what builds to a resilient, healthy body. Right. And in more in the, in the hidden ways, you know, when you're exercising, you're making your mind healthier. When you're eating the high fiber diet, you're making your mind healthier too. I mean, yeah, you're also making your heart healthier and your bones and your skin, but the prize is the mind and that controls everything, right? hundred percent. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for spending the last half hour with me. Can you tell people where to find you now that you are officially on my podcast? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. That was really a, a fun surprise. And I am, well, I'm Dr. Jessica Krant. Actually, we, will, we can just reveal the big reveal. And uh, right now I'm on Instagram at Dr. Krant, the skin MD. And I'm developing, you know, my own lifestyle medicine tips and coaching for vitality and anti-aging and healthy thriving. So I look forward to, you know, seeing people there potentially and continuing to support you on your journey because I'm so impressed with you and so proud of you and you are doing such important work. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And I'm, I, what did we do? Last time we talked, we were planning that you're going to have a conference in like the Bahamas or something in a couple of years and we're all going because you're, well, you're on to big things. I don't know where it's going to be, but I hope everyone will come. But what, but I am, I just gonna... made up the Bahamas. I'm thinking warm and sun and you're like, I don't sit in the sun anymore. Oh no. I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, mid Pacific, you know, Island Ooh, somewhere. Stepping it up. But, um, what I, I'm going to just, put this out there or my, my uh, visualization for my future. And I'm planning to start a podcast someday. And I hope that one day you will be my guest. Oh, absolutely. All the time. Podcasting well, is the best thing ever. It's so creative. I'm, I'm honored that you wanted to um, have me come on today and thank you for everything. And, and you're the best. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great hour and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Okay. Bye-bye.